Well, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that has a man in it who overcame a roadblock, uh, a significant roadblock to get his prayer answered. And, and I'm just wondering how many of you have ever encountered roadblocks, roadblocks in life? Yeah, I, as I was thinking about this, I thought of a roadblock I encountered uh, with an airline company. Uh, anybody there ever? I mean, this was way back in 1999. And uh, I had been to Mexico on a two-week tour or trip, ministry trip. And when, I, when we arrived in Mexico, they had lost my luggage. And so talked to the airline, well, they're going to get it to me the next day, which they didn't do. And then the next day after that, and then they're going to send it to the next city we're going to. And it just went that way the entire two weeks. I did go to a store and buy the essentials, okay? <laughs> but I also discovered you can get along on a whole lot less than you think you can. You don't need, you know, bags and bags full of clothes. But um, when I got home, I still hadn't gotten my luggage. And, and I called the airline that, that we had flown on. And they said, the, the person that I got said, I can't help you because that's Air Mexico's fault. They lost your luggage. We didn't lose your luggage. And I said, yeah, but I gave it to you. And so I'm thinking, maybe you ought to help me with this. And... Um, it wasn't their policy. And, and, the, and the person I was speaking with just, no, it's not our policy. We can't do that. And it, the, the conversation got almost intense, not quite. And I said, well, can I speak to your manager? And she said, I am the manager. And uh, so I hung up. I, mean, I didn't just hang up on her. I ended the call and hung up. And I sat back and I thought, you know, I'm not sure I believe her that she's the manager first. But secondly, I'll bet there are 50 people there answering phones. And I'm going to call again. I'll get a different person, and they'll help me. So I called again. I got a different person. I said, hey, here's what just happened. I talked to one of your agents. She told me she was the manager. She couldn't help me. But here's the situation. I need your help. Will you help me? And that lady said, well, first of all, and she asked me her name. She is not the manager. And secondly, I will help you. Ten minutes later, she had located my luggage somewhere in Mexico and, and had it uh, sent to our home. I think I got it the next day. But it's, there are blockages like that that we encounter all the time in life. There are. Today we're going to look at this man that, um, that experiences that and see how he pressed through the barrier that was set before him in order to get the thing that, that God wanted him to have and, and that he desperately wanted and needed himself. But you might ask why. Why are there blockages? I mean, God can do anything, can't he? Uh, yeah, God can do anything. He can. But God has established his purpose in this world to unfold in a certain way. And ever since Adam and Eve sinned, ever since they uh, rejected God and went their own way, God has been working through the plan of redemption. And, and we refer to redemption in, in a historical sense, the historical pattern of redemption, the historical plan of redemption. And the first thing he did was to establish a nation called Israel that would be a people that he would call his own people that would have his law, have his ways. And then out of that nation, he would raise up a Savior, a Yeshua. That's what the word Yeshua means, Savior. It's a Hebrew word for Jesus, Savior. And that he would raise up a Savior who would then carry the gospel to the entire world, Jews and Gentiles alike. 
But up until the time Jesus actually dies on the cross and sheds his blood, and Paul affirms this in the book of Ephesians, he said, it's through the blood of Jesus that we Gentiles are brought near. In other words, it's because Jesus shed his blood that non-Jews can come into relationship with God. And when the story we're going to look at, this man, when he came to Jesus as a Gentile, Jesus had not yet shed his blood. The season of time of working with Israel and through Israel was not yet completed. And so he's in a season of redemptive history that is about to end very shortly. But this season puts restrictions on him. Now, the new season, which is coming very, very soon, does not place any restrictions on him as a Gentile. And so we're going to see how he breaks through that, how he pushes through that. But the, the, in general, there are many things that we, that we see and encounter as, as roadblocks in life. And the, the whole thing of us looking at the kingdom and understanding the kingdom is really essential. We, we speak of the kingdom as here and yet not fully experienced. We call it the already and the not yet. So the already is the kingdom of God's here. God's released his kingdom to us. He's given us authority and access to his kingdom. The not yet is none of us actually tap into everything that God has made available to us. None of us approach this so perfectly that we experience everything that God has for us. And just a, just a, a quick review of this. This could be a series of messages or, or an entire message itself. But for one thing, there's spiritual warfare. In the book of Daniel, Daniel utters a prayer to God. God sends an angel in answer to that prayer. The angel arrives three weeks later. And he says, I was dispatched the moment you prayed, but this huge demonic force resisted me. And in God's plan, he has determined not to always work on, his, on the basis of his own sovereign power. He has determined to work through other beings, through his created beings, the angels, through human beings. He wants to work through us. That's why we pray. It's not to try to beg God to do something. It is because God wants to partner with us. And we are here, his people, kind of like on the ground, in the mix of the whole thing, and he wants us to pray, and then he will respond to our prayers. That's the way he has determined for it to be. And God's perfect, so it's a perfect plan. However, we are not perfect, and therefore, we don't exercise this plan perfectly. So there's spiritual warfare. I think there's a lack of focus in prayer often. Times we're tired or we have other worries on our minds, and we're just not focused. I wonder if that's what happened to Jesus when he prayed for the blind man outside Jericho. He prayed for the guy, and he said, well, how is it? And the man said, well, I can see, but people look like trees. You know, I can see, but it's fuzzy. And so Jesus prayed for him a second time, and his eyes were completely healed. Now, uh, as we've had stated from this stage many times, if Jesus got two times, two times, he, he got two shots at this to completely heal the guy, then you and I ought to get how many? Maybe a thousand? Okay? So I, I don't know. I, it, Jesus got tired. It could be that he was tired and he wasn't as focused as he needed to be. But I know that happens to us. A lack of preparation, and by that I mean heart preparation. 
through fasting, prayer, uh, you know, walking in intimacy with Jesus so that we actually see what needs to be done. A, a lack of insight into the root causes so we see what needs to be done. Oftentimes the situations, especially with physical healing, but other life situations that we pray over, the problem is rooted in something else other than the actual surface issue. And if all we pray for is the surface issue, we're never really getting to the root cause that would eliminate that as an issue in their life. And so sometimes we don't see root causes. Uh, There's faith, faith of the prayer, faith of the receiver plays some role in it. And then faith of the community. You know, the man we're going to look at today, he had amazing faith. Jesus, it says, was amazed at his faith. And there's only two times in the, in the Gospels it says Jesus was amazed. One was with this centurion who had amazing faith. And the other one was when he was in Nazareth and they had no faith. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Two times Jesus was amazed. But this guy has amazing faith. The thing I want to remember when, when, I, when I say that is this, that there was another time a father came to Jesus, and he said, you know, your apostles tried to heal my son, but they couldn't, and he says, if you can do anything, please help us. Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible to those who believe, and this father responds to him saying, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, so that wasn't amazing faith, but you know what it was? It was honest, it was transparent, it was real, and both of them got what they asked for, the guy with amazing faith as well as the guy who says, ah, you know, I believe, and then I don't believe, and then I believe, and then I, you know, help me, Jesus. I believe, but I unbelieve. Help my unbelief. And so all of these things, um, a lack of perseverance sometimes. In persevering prayer, the Bible teaches us to keep praying. Sometimes that's the issue, but mystery kind of covers it all. And that's why in our setting, we never look at someone who doesn't get healed and say, well, if you just have more faith, because there there are a lot of other factors involved. It might be faith. And if it is, we'll trust God to reveal that and and help. But it's not always the the main issue that we're focused on. And so this this guy that we're going to read about, he's a centurion. And let me tell you about centurions. It's, uh, they, were, they were military officers in the Roman army. And the basic definition of a centurion was they, they commanded a century. The century was a hundred troops. Now, as in our military today, that's the ideal that they have. They command a hundred troops, but they might really be commanding 80 troops or even 60 troops, depending upon how much battle they've been in. And, and how many new recruits they have coming in. But a centurion was, uh, was an officer. They were generally held in very high regard as far as character goes. They were, they were pe- and, and really, every time in, in the Bible when a centurion is mentioned, it is either very positive or there's ne- it's neutral. There's never a time that a centurion is mentioned in the Gospels or the book of Acts that they weren't uh, spoken of highly at the least. And so a centurion uh, actually led men into battle, and centurions would fight to the death if the situation is right. They had a lot of wisdom as to when to fight, when not to fight. They, um, but, but they also, they, they carried not just 
the role of officer as we think of it today, they would probably be roughly the equivalent of a captain in the army today and uh, you know, commanding roughly 100 men. But they also were responsible to train like a drill sergeant would train. So they had some NCO type qualities too, drill sergeant qualities. In fact, the thing that identified someone as a centurion was they carried a chunk of grapevine with them. And you know why they did that? Because they beat the guys in their units that didn't do what they were supposed to do with it. And so it was, it was their symbol of authority, this grapevine. Now, this centurion was a man that the Jews, as you look at the Gospel of Luke, and you see there that um, the same story is told, the Jewish elders from Capernaum came to Jesus and introduced him, this man, and said, he is a good man. He's a good man. In fact, he actually built the synagogue in Capernaum for them. And so this guy in particular is a man of very high quality character. He is a compassionate. And, uh, and, and the, the fact that he is a centurion, these guys didn't go around asking other people for help easily. They were in charge. And especially someone that would be, from the Roman perspective, considered to be his social inferior. You see, going to a, a, a rabbi, a Jewish preacher, and asking him for help would have been far below uh, what anybody would have expected of a centurion. And, and this man very possibly was actually, sometimes centurions would actually act as the political representative for Rome in an area. And so this guy could have been the political representative of Rome. At any rate, he was a very high-ranking person in the whole city of Capernaum. And here's what we read as we look at the passage. You know, we started this a few months ago. Um, Let's continue it today. Would you stand with me? Let's stand as we read this passage. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along as I read it. Starts off, it says, When Jesus entered Capernaum, A centurion came came to him, begging him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, terribly tormented. Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who were following, Truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Have a seat. So as I've already stated, this centurion was humble. He he humbled himself by coming to Jesus and, and begging I mean, as, as I said, these guys were tough guys. They were not used to going to others for help, especially not, not begging. But he is driven by compassion 
for his servant. His love for his servant and his compassion for his servant is driving him. But what's undergirding that is his confidence in the goodness of God. And so that's where his faith comes in. And as we're going to see later how, how it is expressed. But there's a question about what Jesus' statement actually meant when he said, I will come and heal him. In fact, and this is, this is rare that it's this clear, but it really seems clear from the Greek text that it should have been a question, not a statement. And the way it would have read was this. Are you asking me to come to your home and heal him? Now, if that's the case, then what Jesus was, and I think it is, what Jesus was doing was pointing out the roadblock. He was bringing to the surface the barrier. And the same thing he did with the woman, uh, the Canaanite woman, later in Luke and also in the Gospel of Matthew, a Canaanite Syrophoenician woman comes to him and and she's begging him to heal her daughter. And at first, Jesus ignored her. And then he says, no, I was sent to the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel only. And then they go through this whole thing. And she ends up saying, well, it's only going to take a crumb of your power to heal my daughter. And Jesus says, that's pretty good. Good point. Good faith. And he healed her. And so what she did and what this centurion did was, as I already said, they're in a season of redemptive history that is about to end, but the new season where they have free access to everything God has for them is, is theirs, is there. That season hasn't started yet, but what they did was they, by their faith, they were able to reach into the future and bring something back into the present. I heard someone say once that in, in Revelation 22, you know, it says that there's the tree of life. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This person said, what we get to do is we reach ahead in, in, in time. We pluck those leaves off that tree and feed them to people today. But they were able to reach ahead and grab the hold of that future kingdom and bring it back into their present reality. And so Jesus saying, are you asking me to come and heal him? What that does is it gives the... Um, it gives the the centurion, the opportunity to uh, be offended, for one thing, but he's not. It gives him the opportunity, however, to acknowledge the barrier that's there so that he can press through it. And so what we see the, this, the centurion doing is, a, is exercising just an amazing insight. He says, I'm not worthy. Now, I don't think he's He's not thinking in terms of, you know, I'm this horrible sinner because he's already been affirmed by the Jewish elders that he's a really good man, good person. But, and I'm not even sure he's referring to the fact that he's a Gentile. So much as, as you read this, this man had a depth of insight into who God was. He, somehow, he has this insight into God's goodness. He has this insight into God's holiness. He has this insight in, into God's greatness and, and majesty. And, and he sees Jesus, and he has insight into who Jesus is. And, and so he's just saying, look, you don't have to come. I, I recognize that. For, for one thing, 
you're incredibly busy. I can see that. But for another thing, I, you know, I'd just be embarrassed, I think, having you come into my home. So there's this spirit of humility coupled with his depth of insight into who God is that he says, I'm not worthy uh, to have you in, in my home. But he says this, uh, he says, just say the word. Just say the word. That's all you got to do. Just say the word. That's the amazing thing. That he didn't think Jesus had to wave his hands over the guy, over his servant. He, he doesn't even ask for a piece of cloth. Can you just give me a piece, rip off a piece of your robe so I can take it and put it on him? He's not asking, Jesus, give me the magical incantation that I should go and speak over my servant. But he recognizes that Jesus can make this happen even at a distance. You might say, well, where did he ever get that? Well, earlier, in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 4, there was a royal official who lived in Capernaum. That would mean that he served King Herod. He would have been one of the upper echelon leaders of the city. This guy's an upper echelon leader of the city. They would have known each other. And in that case, a year or so earlier, Jesus healed this man's daughter at a distance. And so the, the, the Roman centurion has heard all about that. He heard the whole story. And as he's hearing that story and hearing that testimony, stuff just starts lighting up in his heart. And, 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 and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that there's stuff like this is happening. He's thinking, I, I, I always knew that the pantheon of gods that we worship as Romans couldn't be real. Never made sense. It always seemed to me like there would be one supreme, one God. And I think I'm coming in, in, into encounter with that one God right now. And so this man had, had heard that story already. It lit up his heart with faith. And he believed Jesus had the authority to heal just with one simple word. And Jesus is amazed or astonished at his faith. And Jesus says this then. He says, man, he says, there are going to be many that come from the east and the west. And that would be terminology that would speak to people from around the world. There are places in the Old Testament where God says, I'll gather your children from around the world. But here Jesus is talking obviously about Gentiles because he compares them to the sons of the kingdom. And he says, many of the Jewish people, many of you who, are, who may even be under the, 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 the hearing of his word at that moment, many of you are not going to get in because it's by faith you get in. It's not your genetic heritage that gets you into the kingdom. It's faith. And they were counting on the fact that they were sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham, that they would get into the kingdom. And so Jesus says, here, says, no, there are going to be many, many of the people that you would think would be there aren't going to be there, but there are going to be millions from around the world that will be there who will be Gentiles. And so what Jesus is saying here is this, that this centurion is, as well as the woman, the Canaanite woman, they are, as well as the woman at the well, who was a, who was a um, uh, Samaritan, half Gentile, half Jew, they are a promise of millions more to come, millions more to come from all over the world. And so with all of this, Jesus responds to the man and, and says, Jesus says to the centurion, go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed 
at that very moment, that very instant, Jesus healed from a distance. Now, I don't think you can read too much into the fact that the man says, I have servants under me, I tell them what to do, and they do it. Uh, you could maybe go there and, and try to say, well, Jesus was sending angels to do the healing. That's possible. But I think the, the, the centurion's main point was, I speak a word, it's done. You speak a word, it's done. That's just the way it is. He's, it's just, he, see, he had this rock-solid faith that he, Jesus could do that, and that was what enabled him to break through the barrier. Humility, he's not put off. Humility and the respect he's willing to come to Jesus, and then confidence just in, simply in the word of Jesus that, that he can do it. So from this story, I would ask, you know, how, how do we describe faith? I'd say faith is confidence that God's capable and willing to act. And I would add to that on your behalf, on my behalf. God is capable and willing to act on our behalf. Isaiah 64, 4 says this, says, from times of old, no one has heard nor seen a God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You give help to those who remember your ways and gladly do what is right. In other words, those that are pursuing him. And so those that wait for him, he gladly helps. He's, he's, he's excited to work on our behalf. And so that confidence in that, the growing sense of confidence in that is really important. Um, somehow I've become the gum guy here at the church. And for the little kids, if you ever see after a service, half a dozen kids come running up to me. They're not running up to me because they think I'm so wonderful. They know I have watermelon-flavored, sugar-free gum in my office. And they want it. It started out just me giving this gum to Haya and Silas and, and uh, Phil and Amanda's kids who are here a lot. But then it has spread now. And they're all getting very bold the ones that wouldn't even speak to me before will run up to me now. Can we have gum? Can we have gum? And it's become just part of their approach to life. They know if I have gum, I'm going to give it to them. And, and unless I'm talking to somebody and I can't break away, I'm going to show up and I'm going to give them gum. Sometimes they'll go stand outside the office door waiting. <laughs> they do. I think God wants us to have that kind of confidence in Him, childlike faith, childlike confidence. I'm going to wait, God. Okay, I know you're coming. I know, I know you're coming. I know you're going to respond. I'm, I'm going to keep waiting. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep asking. Jesus said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. I'm going to keep doing that because I believe you're good and I trust in you. And that's what this centurion was willing to do. So just a couple of things. Faith acts boldly. Faith impacts those close to us. And faith breaks through barriers breaks through barriers, whatever barriers you're experiencing in life, whether it's physical, emotional, uh, relational, faith breaks through barriers. How's faith grow? Well, a few, just a couple things I'll say. Faith grows through Holy Spirit revelation. Holy Spirit reveals to us who God is. We say yes to that. We say, I, I believe that and I receive it, God. And not just revelation about what God wants to do. Okay, God's, God says he's going to get me a new job. Not that. 
not talking about that. We're talking about revelation into who God is, into His goodness, His faithfulness, His love, His compassion, and His mercy. Revelation, insight into that stirs faith in our hearts. Second thing that happens is testimony stirs faith in our hearts. This royal, this this centurion had already heard the testimony of the royal official who's uh, had a son healed at a distance. That testimony stirred faith in his heart. And the Bible says in Revelation 19.10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, you hear a Jesus, a testimony of what Jesus has done. There's an inherent prophecy in that testimony, meaning it's going to happen again. In the Old Testament word for testimony means do it again. It's a crazy thing. It really does mean that. It means do it again. And testimony stirs faith. But one of the things we need to, I think we we ignore is, what's the testimony of your life? Where in your life do you look back and you say, yeah, God was really there with me? I mean, it might be something like, yeah, you know, that car, end over end, eight times. Landed on its roof, I walked away unscathed. God was with me. Or it might be, I, you know, I, I... I resigned this job, or I lost this job. God gave me a new job at exactly the right time, and it was a better job. Or, or it might be I was in a broken relationship with my sister or my neighbor or my friend, and as fearful as it was, I went to them and talked to them about it, and God restored that relationship. Whatever your testimony is, tell it to yourself. Tell it to yourself. Remember it. Because that will stir faith in your heart. And, uh, and, and faith is always a good thing. More faith is always a good thing. I'm not going to lean back and say, well, I'm just going to be like the guy that said, I believe, help my unbelief. I, I'd much rather be in the camp of amazing faith, wouldn't you? So I, I want to tell myself and remember. And, and when I hear a testimony, I want to take it seriously and absorb it into my heart. And then here, I think this is probably the key thing. It's a willing heart to know and follow. A willing heart to know and follow. You've got to add and to follow there. But here in John 7, here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered them. In, he's in kind of like a debate as to whether or not he's really speaking from God. And he says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And then here it is. If anyone is willing to do his will... Willing to do His will, the Father's will. If you're willing to do the Father's will, that person will know of my teaching, whether it is from God or whether I just speak of my own accord, just speak from myself. And so it comes down to this, am I willing? If, if, you know, if God's real, am I willing? I mean, I think for a lot of people, and for a lot of people that struggle with whether they believe or not, I think it comes down to this. Tell God, talk, God, if you're real, I want to know it because I want to follow you. If you're real, I want to know it because I want you to be the center of my life. If you're real, I want to center everything in my life around you, Jesus. If I have that heart attitude, then the Holy Spirit is going to reveal truth to me. That's how, I, that's how revelation comes, not because I'm curious or because 
I, you know, I just want to know, but because I want to know so I can walk, so I can obey, so I can be what God wants me to be. And so, he's, he, he, what, what's, what's the Father's will? Very quickly, very simply, when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father spoke, and he said, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. Okay, pretty simple, isn't it? What's the Father's will? Listen to Jesus. And by listen, it doesn't mean sit back, take in a sermon, and then think, wow, that was pretty interesting, and go away. Listen means follow. That's what the word listen means. It means to hear and to do, to follow. And so his will is to follow him. And so Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. That's going to be the the new focal emphasis for us as as a church, as I shared last week. Many other things we'll be doing, but we're we're going to weave that into everything. Uh, Jesus says, "Trust me. You trust God. Trust me too. Trust me." And He also says, "Come, everyone who's weary, come." Now in Hebrews it says that Jesus was tested in every way that we were tested, and so. We can do what? We can come to the throne of grace boldly, just like this centurion came to Jesus boldly. We can come boldly because he knows what we're going through, and he has compassion. And if you read the Gospels, that was a primary motive of Jesus for healing and blessing people was compassion. Now, what I want us to do right now is to stand. Would you stand with me, please? There's grace, there's grace, God's compassion, we can come boldly. I want you to think of this, is there something in your life, it could be a physical issue that you've sought healing for and you haven't received it yet, it could be um, a relational issue, it could be some character trait that you're trying to shake free from and you haven't been able to. Anything like that that is big, that is bigger than, than you really feel you can handle. I, I want you to, I'm going to pray. We're going to take just a few seconds for the Holy Spirit to speak to us about this. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Show each one of us. Show us something, Lord, or show those who are ready to receive it right now. Show them, Lord, an area of healing, physical, emotional, spiritual, or character trait, or some other big issue in their life, a family, a broken family system that needs to be healed. All right, those of you who have something, what I want you to do is humble yourself like the centurion. Don't worry about the people around you, what they think. He didn't. He didn't worry. And come up to the front. Okay? If you have something, come up to the front. Don't hesitate. Don't be afraid. Now, I want you to take uh, some 
some physical something that would be a position of humility for you. Whatever that is for you. It might just mean put your hands out. You might want to get on your knees. You might want to lay on your face. Or whatever it is for you. Take that position. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, come. Just come and move. I just sense the Holy Spirit's over here on stage right. That's my right-hand side, right over here. And the Holy Spirit's moving across the front of the stage. Just, Holy Spirit, come. Just come. And just as you begin to sense his presence, just receive what he has for you. Come. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Micah. Just come, Lord. In Jesus' name, I speak freedom over you. I speak freedom right now. Freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom from habits that have gripped your life and you just can't seem to shake. There's freedom today for that. I release healing to you in Jesus' name, and I speak healing over you in Jesus' name for you to receive it, to receive it right now in Jesus' name, physical healing, emotional healing over past hurts and wounds and pains, and I break off shame in Jesus' name, no shame, and any harassing spirits that come after any of you on a regular basis over an issue like shame or like pornography or, or like uh, anger or anything like that. In Jesus' name, I speak freedom over you right now with, the, with the, the power and life of Jesus, freedom from that in Jesus' name and authority to say no to that spirit that comes to attack. In Jesus' name. It's more of your presence, Lord. If you're on the prayer team, come on up right now. Even if this isn't your week, come up and pray. If you've been through School of Kingdom Ministry, or you're on staff or anything like this, come up and start praying for people, okay? Just bless. Yeah, there's real power on this side of the room. It's like a burning light. I can feel it. So thank you, Holy Spirit. That you're here with power right now in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Thank Holy you, Holy Spirit. Spirit. In Jesus' name, release your power in life. Thank you for your power. In Jesus' name. Thank you for your power. If you're Jesus feeling warm, name. that's a sign more, Lord, that more, He is with more, you. More. Thank you for your power. More. 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 Mm-hmm. More. Jesus' name. Freedom. Jesus' name. More, Lord. Jesus' name. Freedom. Thank you, God, for the anointing. More. Jesus' name. If you're up front here, if you came up for prayer, but you feel like you know God's done what he wants to do in you, you're free to just start praying for other people, okay?